This episode is brought to you by Hired.com. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles that you don't actually want. And job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. Sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. On Hire, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. Hired offers access to 4,000 plus innovative employers, including big brands such as Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. We help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let us know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance to us. That's why Hired hides your profile from your current and past employers. The best part is it's always free for you to find your next job on Hired. No exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. Earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. Visit Hired.com slash React Native Radio to learn more. This episode is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. Daily Drip makes keeping up to date on programming skills easier. You already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages. What if the hard part of that was already done for you? Sign up for Daily Drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about. Want to learn React Native? How about Elm? Maybe you want to brush up on your CSS and HTML. Every weekday, you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes 5 minutes a day. We have a special coupon code just for React Native Radio listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code RNRADIO, all one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means you can try out the React Native topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code RNRADIO to show support for our podcast. Make learning part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of React Native Radio. Today on our panel, we have Gant Laborde. Hello. Kevin Ohl. Hey, everyone. And I'm your host, Nader David. Today on our show, we're going to be featuring Ben Krieger and Yule Arvidsson. And we're going to be talking about the Vogue app. If you have been keeping up with, I guess, some of the news coming out of Apple and Business Insider, there was an article that was written that kind of gave a overview of the top apps in the App Store for 2016. And one of the apps was the Vogue app, which was written in React Native. So we're going to be basically having the team on that built that app and kind of talk about decisions that were made and how the app came to be about. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks. It's great Glad to be here. Mike, great to have you. So, Ben, um, I'm going to start with you. Can you kind of give us an introduction about yourself and how you got into programming? Sure. So, let's see where to start <laughs> with that. Most of it happened through college, but I've, I've hopped around from programming gigs since then. I've, I've kind of done the, the gamut of languages from .NET to Ruby and Python. I, I landed on mobile development just because I like the, the new challenge that it offers in terms of different 
different variables, I guess I should say that like factor into it. You've got the the difference of context. You've got such a smaller real estate that it sets a kind of a, a constraint on the sort of information that you can show at any given time. It's it feels much more, or I feel like it should be uh, much more focused um, in terms of like user, user interface, uh, being able to show the user exactly the right information at the right time and that sort of stuff. So I, I like the challenge that it solves. Um, so lately I've been doing anything from Objective-C uh, to Swift to dabbling in, in React Native uh, as well. So um, that's kind of my forte lately. So you you were doing some native iOS development. Were you doing any native Android development as well before you got into React Native? I was not. Uh, I keep looking for excuses to do so, but I never do. One of these days, yeah, one of these days, but uh, not currently, no. Okay. Yul, how about yourself? How did you get into programming? I've basically done it my whole life in, in some capacity. Most of my career, I've been doing web, web development, and uh, lately, a lot of uh, JavaScript in general, and and some um, native mobile development, but only iOS. So I guess this is a question for both of you guys, since you've both done some native iOS development. How do you compare the overall solution that React Native um, creates as opposed to native iOS development? Like, what, is, what do you see as some of the trade-offs there? I love that you don't have to use Xcode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's my, my primary joy. I, I still do a lot of, of native development, and so I still end up in Xcode a lot. And it's, it's a bummer because it's one of the only main tools we have. Um, but the ability to, to kind of break outside that, React Native gives you like a whole different flow, especially like with live code refresh. Um, it's, it makes the development cycle a lot faster. My main win with, uh, with React Native as well. When, especially when you're when you're iterating over UI code, it's so fast and you see the, the results instantly, and that's uh, really uh, a win for for the iteration cycles. It makes makes it makes it work so much faster. So I guess we can start talking about the Vogue app. How did that idea, I guess, come about? Do you guys work with them in a capacity that is like consulting, or do you guys work with them as full time employees, or, or was it like a contract thing? All right, so so me and Ben, we represent a company called OvenBits out of Dallas, Texas. And we were one of the a few agencies, or basically to pitch the app for Vogue uh, to launch before the uh, the Met Gala. And uh, React Native was actually one of the uh, the terms in, in, the, uh, in the pitch. Basically, the question was, can you guys do it in, in React Native? Uh, because Vogue themselves had a lot of, expertise in React. They had a, a backend built in, in GraphQL. So for them, it would be great if they could actually be part of the process in, in a way and then be able to take over maintenance of the app eventually without having to uh, hire a second uh, native developer. Hey, so um, that's uh, interesting you guys point out that uh, that it was uh, going into GraphQL backend. Um, had either of you worked with GraphQL prior to this project? I definitely had not. What are your thoughts after having worked with it uh, in this capacity? It's been mostly me working with GraphQL in, in this app. Yeah, so, so I, I guess it depends on your actual needs. Uh, for a company like Facebook, it's kind of hard to do anything that's, that's different from, from how they're solving it. I think if, if you're an app with very specific needs, 
and and basically don't have a bunch of different clients, maybe you could just be fine off with a with a REST API. But as as a developer, as a front end developer, it's very it's very uh, nice to work with the GraphQL because uh, you'll see that the all, all of the data you can get out of GraphQL, and uh, it, it gives you a lot more power how to design your app, rather than have, having to to design your app around how the 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 backend will give you data. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I found the same experience. I was just wondering what your uh, your take uh, was with it um, before and after. So how many people were on the team? Was it just you two? So we we're the only developers. We had, of course, designers and PMs. I guess we were in total five persons from, from other mids. And then we had the backend team at Vogue. Uh, which was, uh, depending on the stage of project, I think mostly were around three people. So they were developing the uh, the backend and adding some features as we as we went along, basically. So I'm guessing it was like a combination of existing features, existing APIs, and then they built a few new APIs for you guys. Yeah, that's that's mostly the, the case. They were also building out their own website at the t- uh, the same time, and then we had kind of uh, both used for new features from the website. So uh, most of the new development was for both, but then some some parts were was just for the the, the app. But most most was shared. So I'm a little bit interested in the structure of the app, and I understand that there might have been some papers signed. You can't go too far into detail on everything, but uh, just as far as like production apps go, I'm always interested in what you chose for state management or uh, any external node modules. I know you actually are the author of quite a few open source uh, third-party libraries. So I was interested, did you use a lot of those or did those come from this particular product? Uh, Right, so uh, since we're using GraphQL, um, most of the state management is done by Relay. So the only part that we don't use Relay for is the offline mode. So we in the app we have an ability to to store uh, articles offline for or save them for offline reading, and and then we use uh, a, a Flux implementation from from Yahoo. Um, I I don't really remember what it's called, um, but it's Dispatcher or something like that, uh, and. I guess nobody would use it today, uh, and the only reason we used it in the app was because that's uh, the standard uh, library used in the content as organization. So they wanted to basically make everybody, every app use the same uh, tooling so that it would be easy, easier for the developers on, on their teams to switch between the projects. Gotcha. Um, in terms of node modules, uh, it's not too many uh, of them we use, uh, I guess, Lodash, like everybody uses, uh, Moment for some some uh, form, formatting updates in a nicer mode. Um, and actually, no uh, no modules produced from this for this party. So it's only existing, and then uh, we've done some some uh, modifications to a few of them and. Most of them, we've gotten them merged into Monster, so uh, we don't use the forks anymore. 
So it's mostly a completely vanilla build from the ground up specifically for the client on this one. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. So about how long from the day you guys started coding until it was launched, about how long did the, the app take to build? Um, I think it was about two and a half months. And then I think Ben was on the project for uh, one and a half months. Is that correct, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. I was I was brought in kind of midway through. Yule had already. It was it was amazing to me how much Yule had already built uh, in the short amount of time um, between when the project started and when I was brought on. Uh, just how much of the app was already done. Um, but I've been used to building just like normal apps, um, like normal Objective C Swift apps. So much of it was already in place. Uh, by the time I got in, uh, it, it was pretty crazy. I was brought in midway through um, to actually do some some native um, native iOS code to integrate with the uh, with the React Native code that I can talk about. Um, that's that's what I was brought in for. Right, and and also to add to the just get a sense of of the time spent. So uh, a lot of the views we were kind of iterating on uh, quite a few times. So we did uh, one design, uh, and then we tested it in the app, and then we did another one and another one uh, based on feedback. Uh, so a lot of a lot of the parts of the app were actually written a few times over, uh, and then so basically, if you had a, a full set of designs from from the ground up, uh, you could have done it faster for sure. I don't know. Two and a half months sounds pretty 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 good. <laughs> Was it an iOS and an Android launch, or was it just strictly iOS for now? Uh, the app is strictly iOS for for a few reasons. One being like budget. Another one being that we had a really hard deadline, so uh, scope itself was very tightly controlled so that we didn't uh, pass this this deadline. And the deadline being the the Met Gala, and I mean the Gala itself wouldn't move because of the app launch, of course. So we had to be finished by that time and approved and everything. And then uh, it's also a question about audience. Uh, almost, basically, most users of, of the Vogue Online uh, uses uh, iOS devices, and we also have a few dependencies that are only available on iOS. So uh, the the main thing being uh, uh, this CNA player, which is um, the Condé Nast uh, Group's own. Uh, video streaming uh, platform and they we basically almost didn't have the, the the dependencies for ios either and doing both was was just never feasible did you have any custom native modules that you had to build for the app or was it all uh, centered around just views and actions related to those views there were a couple of native modules you're talking about native ios that's correct sorry yeah um, we had a couple of native modules built. Um, the one that I primarily worked on was actually uh, for our advertising content. We were able to build out some native ads uh, on Google's uh, DoubleClick for Publishers. Um, on their dashboard, um, they support trafficking and statistics on native ads, which is really almost as simple as as just having an API backend that that randomly serves up data, you know, based on your your targeting values. 
but we built the native ads and UI kit to integrate with React Native in the feed, um, mostly uh, due to performance issues. We, since they're embedded in list views and a lot of them had um, animatable components, um, they were kind of these these flashy, um, cool looking ads. Performance wise, it was better to build them in in UI kit and then integrate them into the feed. And so there was that was one of the big native components. We had several different app styles, but they were kind of built somewhat separately from the app. Uh, and then we integrated it in as kind of a local CocoaPod to to kind of import that code and then and integrate it with React Native. And I believe there were a couple of other native components. Maybe uh, Yul, can you speak to one of those? Yeah. So I, I think besides the video player, which was an external service that we also brought in via CocoaPods eventually, most of our components that were written in native were originally written in, in JavaScript, but then we saw that didn't have the performance that we wanted. Um, so then we just made one part in, in uh, that was critical uh, to be uh, run in, in the native context. So one example of that is uh, the, the top navigation bar. That one was really hard to write in JavaScript because we had a bunch of different uh, gesture handlers um, that were triggering uh, different responses. So uh, you could swipe over the, the names of the different sections, and then you would have a, a, a momentum scroll, which was a lot higher than if you were swiping in the feed itself. And then we had, you could press on, on one tab to go there. Uh, and, and then we also had an infinite loop where we, instead of re-rendering uh, re uh, the views, we would cycle them uh, in, in a way. And that was basically not doable in, in a good and performant way in, in, in just in JavaScript. So we had to port that over to, to native. And then we had some animations running at startup. So if, if you if you start the app, you would see the, the logos animating. And since there's a lot of startup code being run at startup, which is kind of normal, uh, those animations would stutter if we didn't run them in native. And that's also the case with the feed uh, to detail transition. We had to, to, to make the, the driver be running in native instead of in JavaScript. I mean, nowadays it's, it's easy to do, but back then we didn't have that support in, in uh, React Native Core. Awesome. Both of you have mentioned, uh, you know, performance profiling. Can you talk about any techniques or um, tools that you've used to help you with the performance optimization of the app? I think uh, a lot of listeners, um, and I'm always intrigued to find out what others are doing just beyond, you know, watching a profiler to uh, to not only identify performance issues, but but resolve them. Could you speak to those? Oh, I wish I had a, a, a very good answer. Um, so in, in our case, it was just mostly a lot of real world testing. So we had a lower end device often running battery save mode, and then we would kind of have the, the, the baseline worst performance that we could get, and then we try to optimize that one. And that could mean a lot of things. It could mean optimizing renders, doing uh, moving stuff to native code, just making um, sure that JavaScript is run at the at the at the point of time where it's not blocking anything else that's more important, etc. Um, 
we did not use any profiling in uh, in in Chrome, for example, which is quite normal, because um, it was just not really uh, realistic. Uh, so the data that we got from there, like FPS and, and so on, wouldn't really match uh, what we had on device. So I, I, I guess our problem usually wasn't that some some piece of code was too slow. It's just that sometimes the, the bridge itself was flooded or that something was responding to some touch events that were sometimes blocked because of because of the bridge. And like not like a single method was running too slow or something. It's just a broader, um, you need to look broader at, at the app itself to, to get to know the, uh, the bottlenecks. So now with the animations getting more and more native and React Native, what, what version of React Native did you guys have to start with for this? And then how many versions did you have to go through during the two-month sprint of actually getting the app up? And uh, did you cross any of those major barriers and upgrades that everybody uh, despises? Let me just look that up one second. I assume not because you would remember the worst ones. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody remembers the versions that really burn you. <laughs> I remember there being a very minor hiccup, if anything. I don't think we hit any major snags um, on on updating uh, versions of React Native that we were using. You know, also, right. yeah, so I, I just found it. Sorry. Um, so we started out with zero uh, eighteen, uh, which was a while wow. ago. So actually, the app that we're releasing, I guess, today is using 0.39. So I, I would say that 40 is, is the the one that's um, going to cause me the most pain. Um, and it's mostly just because it breaks all the native dependencies. Uh, and it's it's really easy to upgrade. Um, it's just that everybody has to do it at the same time. And not all uh, components are updated with uh, a very tight release cycle. Yeah, that's a that's a real big sticking point. As a matter of fact, um, uh, one of the people, Steve Kellogg, who is the author of Reactatron, when I told him uh, we'd be doing the podcast with you today, he said, make sure to ask him if he's ever going to bring back uh, React Native Collapsible. I miss it so <laughs> much, and it was fantastic. So he was really, uh, I think, like version 35, kind of bit you on that one, and then you got another one. So you've got a lot of uh, you know libraries to update. It's not just the projects. A lot of other people depend on your code as well, so um, it tends to be a bit of a bear. Right. So about that one, it's that one actually doesn't have any native dependencies. Yeah, that one's been broken for a while now. Uh, it was back in thirty-five or thirty-six that CSS layout introduced this new bug that that broke the module. Um, it was quite f uh, quickly fixed, actually, um, but the fix itself caused some other tests to fail inside of Facebook. So it was reverted, and then nothing happened for a while because they were too busy. Uh, but now recently, it's actually fixed in uh, in 041. So just tell your friend to update React Native and React Native Collapsible, and it should be fine. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, that's one of, that's just one of the examples of a fantastic library that you have there. But dragging versions from from 18 all the way up to 39, that's impressive for anybody who's gone across all the versions between there. So I, I take my statement back. You you obviously had to fight some uh, stuff. But I guess, um, 
since you kept it very clean uh, throughout the process and there wasn't a lot of external dependencies, then um, it might have made it a little bit easier, do you think? Um, to be honest, I, I didn't have much trouble updating. Um, I, th I think it's, we do some some and some special rendering um, uh, that's using uh, uh, the internal uh, layout to, to override it. And, and that was, that has some breaking uh, changes. Aside from that, I, I don't remember having too much trouble upgrading. Very nice. And like, that's, that's something you shouldn't do anyway. So that's my, my fault. Yeah, so um, could you guys talk about uh, your um, your testing strategy, both on the uh, iOS or Android uh, native side and uh, the React native side? Do you have it in place, and how has it been working for you? Right, so for React native, we, we don't do any integration tests, to be honest. It was just so much turnover and a short amount of time to, to get it all working uh, that we didn't really have too much use of them. I guess now we would, though. Uh, but yeah, and for for unit testing, we use Jest, which has worked out pretty pretty good with us. A lot of people didn't like it to begin with, but it's it's just fine to me. And native dependencies, I'll, I'll pass over to Ben. Unit tests, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because of the tight deadline to to kind of get this thing out the door before the Met Gala, I didn't have the opportunity to write any unit tests. I actually didn't have too much in terms of kind of model layer or business layer things, um, at least for the ads component to test, aside from maybe stubbing a few requests coming from, from Google DFP. But so we don't have any tests um, or at least any unit tests covering the, the the native side of things. Well, I mean, lately in my testing for, for Objective-C code, I'm, I'm more than happy to use um, just the kind of the built-in like XC test framework. Um, and then for Swift code, a lot of it lately, I've been using um, some of the more behavior-driven development libraries like Nimble and Quick to write unit tests. But I still haven't really gotten bit by the integration bug yet. It's something I want to look at doing. It's something in the future, but I just yeah, I haven't gotten into it yet. So <laughs> my answer is uh, probably a little bit of a letdown. But yeah, we we don't have uh, we don't have any any unit tests or any integration tests on the on the native side of things. I thought that it sounded like at the end that that you may have a solution now versus back when you were developing that would help that out. And I didn't know if you had a certain tool in mind that um, would make that uh, better. I, I just meant that since we were uh, doing so, um, the, the, the turnover over the views and how they were oh, layouted and, and their behavior was just changing from week to week, um, integration tests really didn't uh, make sense for, for the launch. They do make sense now that we're in, in maintenance mode, uh, but we haven't done too much updating of the app. Uh, I think we mostly haven't touched it um, since June, and then just just now that we're uh, implementing some new features. Uh, but it's been not updated for, for some time. As for testing uh, in our quality control, we did a lot of user testing and like daily builds for, for everybody and the projects and the client and, and stakeholders at Condon as in, in general. So they were always on top of what's, what's, uh, what's happening, what's going on. So we had a really uh, tight feedback loop uh, with them and caught any so-called integration regression or whatever you would call it. Uh, basically, it's the same day or, or uh, 
the day after. I don't know, maybe you want to talk about CI later, or is that a good time? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would be extremely interested, actually, in that, and I think everyone else would be, too. So now we know your testing suite. Um, what are you doing as far as there's a lot of CI options out there? Um, is there one that specifically that you've fallen in love with that you use for every project? Or what exactly did you use for Vogue? So for Vogue, there was some existing CI infrastructure uh, within the Condé Nast organization. And that was CodeChip for um, running JavaScript tests. Uh, and then we had um, Code Climate, I think, uh, for just general uh, code quality. And then we had uh, BodyBuild for um, distributing builds and making iOS builds uh, and and showing them in, in GitHub to make sure the builds pass. <laughs> so you basically named all the pieces I've never actually gotten a chance to work with. I've used like the competitor for every single one of those. Are those your preference or is that uh, what you were handed? Um, it was pretty much what I was handed, but uh, to be honest, I don't have a very strong opinion. I've tested uh, CircleCI, which it works great, uh, both for CD and CI. Um, Jenkins uh, is what I use uh, in my personal projects. Um, I've used uh, beta for, for distributing uh, from, from Crashlytics or from Fabric, which is fine. Um, the nice thing about BodyBuild is that you would, uh, the, the, the testers can take uh, a screen, screen dump and then annotate on whatever they think is, is, is bad or should be improved. And that, that's really useful, uh, but it's not really part of the CI perhaps. Oh, that's pretty cool. I did not know that you can do that. What's the service called? BodyBuild? BodyBuild, yeah. And then I've used also Bitrise for one project. And I, I know that many people like it, but I don't know. I'm not too fond of it. Um, I think mostly because the UI itself is not great, I think. And then that the config files are stored at their uh, server instead of in my source files. So do you guys do any remote code deployment through the JavaScript side, similar to CodePush or anything like that? We do have CodePush integrated, but we actually have never used it. Um, nowadays, the Apple uh, review time is, is one day or perhaps two. So in, in terms of uh, time, it's, it's really not... Uh, of an issue uh, right now. I think mostly the, uh, the reason people would, or at least the ones I'm talking to, would use code push is to not lose the uh, the reviews for that version. But at, at least as, as React Native has been on a pretty uh, frequent release schedule, you would very often have native uh, dependencies being updated. So then you couldn't really use code push just for for the JavaScript parts, uh, if you also wanted to stay current with the with the latest release of React Native. Yes, that's true. Um, I know with uh, one of the apps that I'm working on, we we have new features and things added almost weekly, though. So it does come in handy if you're iterating quickly and you're not kind of just putting out 
an app that's going to be, you know, in its final form for a few months at a time. But I, I definitely agree. The app store process has gotten much better. And we should probably be better about updating our React Native versions as well, now that you mentioned that. <laughs> I think also uh, it's the case of um, the release having one one less uh, part that could fail. Uh, so if if you actually had made a, a native dependency change, then your app would crash. Uh, and since we're fine with waiting a day to release, um, then we really haven't uh, had the need for for code push. Uh, it's it's there just for if, if there's like a, an emergency update we need to do, then we have that option. But for the general re- release cycle, um, we haven't used it. So, were there any technical difficulties or technical challenges that you kind of ran into that you'd like to talk about? While you were building the app, anything that was a kind of a gotcha moment? I think Ben has some had some beef with the memory management. <laughs> I did. It was it, it, a lot of it was in the list view implementation um, at the time. I, I can't remember how far back it was or if they fixed it lately in React Native, but we had we had issues with the way list view was recycling the the views it used, um, or, or rather, I guess it. it the fact that it doesn't recycle the views at all. Um, and we had, it normally wouldn't be a problem, uh, but we had pretty much infinitely scrollable uh, views, like vertically. Granted, most users aren't going to be scrolling all the way down through a feed, uh, all the way down to see if they can find the bottom, because <laughs> it's a long way down uh, with as much content as Vogue has. But you get started, and especially like on lower memory devices, you get scrolling down far enough and we would have these the advertising views like the native views um, that we were adding to the list view they weren't getting um they weren't getting nailed out they weren't getting destroyed um, in memory so a lot of the memory wasn't being reclaimed we had uh, we had memory recycling set up to invalidate those views when you swiped over to the next feed or two and so memory would get reclaimed then but uh, it led to a lot of crashes on lower memory devices um like the iphone 5 uh, and surprisingly um the iPhone 6 Plus, uh, the first large Plus phone they released, for so many pixels that are on the screen, it, that that poor device doesn't have enough RAM uh, to handle uh, a whole lot of you know a whole lot of views coming in and out of it. So we had issues with list view implementation um, in terms of it not nailing out views uh, when we would have liked it to. So we had to add in a lot of kind of manual um, viewport checking code and ads. Um, to be able to either f- kind of like freeze the state of the ad or to just dump it and invalidate it completely in order to try and free up as much memory as we could. So there was a lot of that. We did a lot of pre-caching on the ads when the app would start up um, so that if you are in a, in a kind of a poor network area or if you were, you know, if you happen to like go offline, you would still have sort of the, the advertisement um, already loaded and ready to go, at least like for the content. So. We did have some stuff loading into memory then um, to try and help out uh, with a lot of things like scroll performance uh, so you don't have to do any network loading then. Um, and, and I think it, it worked pretty well. We, we had a, a relatively clever setup uh, that you and I devised to pull out ads from this sort of cache group thing based on which part of the app you were in. 
and it served us um, pretty well for, for for performance reasons. But really, the, the biggest beef I had was was with List View. And I know there's a, a pull request on um, on the on the primary React Native uh, repo for it that Nick Lockwood was was chiming in on at the time. It was, I think, largely a, a difference uh, in opinion. I think due to the implementation of how List View worked, but I, I haven't checked for some time to see if that's open yet or not. I wish I had a better answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah uh that was that was the the main performance uh te- the main technical issue that i had and it, it was an interesting one at that right so i i think it's th- that problem is mostly solved now uh and i, I with with images it's not a it's not really a problem uh, anymore but i think it's it might be a problem if you're uh, doing completely custom native components uh that using a lot of Memories such as videos and uh, and images. Um, I th- I think now we actually ended up using the invalidation API, and then using uh, Aureus testing if it was removed from window or not. Um, and then we also had some some trouble with with relay. Uh, I'm not sure if it's related to to this podcast, but when we started using relay, it was still kind of immature. Um, and I actually don't know really if, if, if those features are stable yet, but, um, we had some, some trouble, uh, doing offline mode. Uh, we had trouble doing subscriptions. Um, and basically we actually ended up not doing subscriptions because, uh, that would also cause some scaling issues, um, with, with the server. And then um, some some just general features with with relay causing some some trouble from us. For example, uh, every relay uh, view needs to have a root component, and some some parts of the app we also wanted to clone the children children of the the component. And if we did that, they would actually also lose uh, the root component, which was causing us some trouble. So really was is is great, but it's not great for all use cases, I would say. So I guess to wrap up the show, I have two more questions. One of them is kind of about the company, the agency that you guys work with that uh, got this contract and what other type of work you have. And the other one is, I guess, as an overall wrap up of your experience with this particular you know, contract or this app, what do you think about React Native, and what like would you use it in the future again for future apps? And what like did you like about it, and what did you not like about it, and like your overall feel and uh, and all of that going into the future? I came into this project a total um, total React Native newbie. Um, in fact, I, I guess I could say I had sort of like a negative view of of React Native, but a large part of it was just. You know, preconceived notions from afar. Um, I'd been so used to doing mobile, like native mobile development for for some time now that, um, and I've seen a lot of like third party frameworks, like these sort of middleman frameworks, come and go, um, whether through development just going stale or Apple eventually shutting things down. I was I came away from the project super impressed by what React Native um, can do uh, and and the sort of problems that it's solving. It was it was tremendously helpful for us in in you know, a speedy development cycle um, to be able to get a lot of really cool stuff built in a really solid way uh, in such a short amount of time. So 
I would definitely use React Native uh, again in in like in my personal projects. Um, um, it, it's it's really uh, neat and fascinating, I think, and and pretty fun. I, I look forward to a lot of the stuff that um, that they're they're going to be building on top of it uh, in the future. Yeah, and I love React Native as well. I've been using it since the first public release, uh, basically, and uh, I'm, I'm still working on it and and doing it for my pet projects and for my for my main work. Of course, I also have some some criticism of React Native. Um, the main thing I think is the state of navigation. Um, <laughs> I guess it's pain point for everybody, uh, but they solved it pretty well with with navigation experimental. I think. I just think it's um, just not great for 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 beginners, uh, in part because it's very poorly uh, documented, and also because you have to do a lot of work yourself. Um, and so I know there's there's some efforts uh, put into making uh, version two of exponent or X navigation. Um, Part of the core, um, and I, I think I think that's great. Um, I just wish it was done before. Uh, so I, I guess now we have four competing uh, navigation patterns just in core eventually, um, and I wish that was thought of a bit sooner. Very good points, and I think we all agree on the navigation issue as well. We'll just see how that all pans out, but. I really, really like X navigation. So I'm, I'm assuming uh, a new iteration, um, with the ideas and the lessons learned on top of both X navigation and re navigation experimental. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be in a really good place once that's kind of released. Yeah. That's the second, uh, uh complaint I have is a lot of, uh, new and important, um, uh, things on the roadmap is, uh, being outsourced to to the community, so I, I would prefer if if Facebook took ownership over the new version of the Navigator, for example. Um, I, I I think it's great that the community has so much uh, power and um, so many contributors uh, contributing to the to the project, but I I think that to be able to promise some things on the roadmap. You cannot always rely on uh, unpaid uh, open source contributors, and I know that some 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 things on the roadmap are actually behind schedule at this point. Yeah, that's a good point, and and a lot of enterprise type of companies that may look at a project like this would be scared away from it because of those exact issues. And I think that is definitely something that should be taken into consideration. So I guess I guess to wrap everything up, can you kind of talk about the agency that you guys work with? and just a little bit about it and what you all do with that company. Are you full-time with them or do you do just consulting in general? Uh, yeah, I can speak to some of that. Um, I've worked for OvenBits since March of 2015. I was, I was doing full-time work with them for leading up until uh, November or so, and now I'm kind of doing some part-time consulting work with them as well. But we do we do work for all sorts of, of clients, uh, big and small. Condé Nast was our was one of our bigger clients uh, leading up to that point. But we do um, a lot of websites, uh, a lot of web work, lots of mobile apps, uh, some design work as well. So 
we, we kind of cover the, the broad spectrum of uh, digital goods, I guess, if you will. So yeah, w- what about you, Yul? Right, so I'm, I'm currently not with Avonbits. Uh, I'm freelancing um, out of Sweden and uh, around the world. I would love to freelance from around the world. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> I actually, um, so I do a little bit of part-time work uh, with Avonbits, but I am uh, currently full-time with uh, O'Reilly Media um, in their Safari Books Online division. So um, that's that's what I do. Very cool. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I guess we can go ahead and jump to the picks. Kevin, would you like to start us off? Absolutely. So I've got a couple of tools I want to mention that uh, I've just been using this year to just increase my organization and automation. So uh, I've switched from the Things app, which is a to-do list manager uh, that was primarily built for, or it was built for Mac, uh, iOS, and um, I believe they have, uh, or I know they have an iPad app. I'm not sure if they're on Android, but uh, I have been using that as my to-do list manager up until the end of the last year. And I wanted a bit more automation uh, in things that I do. And so I have uh, switched over to uh, a tool called Todoist. It's at todoist.com. And what I love about it and the reason that I switched was that I'm able to um, use uh, another service, which is another pick, uh, if this, then that. So it's ifttt.com. And what it allows you to do is to glue services together. So if a um, if I send an article to Instapaper, say for when I'm browsing Twitter and I send it to Instapaper, um, I have a task that sets that up and it puts it in a category called reading. And what I do is I um, set the date for that um, that article about five days out or any I've, I've started to play with the days. Um, but you can just give it like uh, put this as a due date. Um, and I've chosen about five days out. And what I've found is that I'm able to read more. Uh, and um, instead of just filling up my Instapaper like I have for the past eight years. Um, so uh, those are two picks. And um, the third pick is uh, React Native related. Um, I am uh, starting to play with the, um, I do a lot of work with Amazon Web Services, and um, I'm getting to the point where I want to add um, uh, a little bit more than, I would like to uh, integrate tightly with um, Amazon's Cognito for authentication. I've been looking at the AWS mobile SDK for React Native that's currently in developer preview. I am excited to be able to call Dynamo tables directly or Lambda or S3 and do that using the Cognito um, unauthenticated user. So um, what's cool about that is you don't have to to, uh, embed credentials in your uh, your app. Um, And uh, so I've had some success on that with the web version to where I've been using uh, Cognito uh, to get uh, on a, uh, a web page on a, you know, a, a, a React app. Um, and by using Cognito, I don't have to expose any credentials that are uh, sensitive. I get um, a region and, um, and a app ID. That's the only thing that goes into my um, source. And the same uh, is on the React Native side as well. So you're, you're getting away from bundling any credentials with it. So um, anyway, uh, I'll report as I um, uh, play more with that, but I'm uh, hugely excited about that uh, for React Native. Yeah, and plus one on the uh, if then then uh, that. Oh my goodness, I I I I think that you could do a whole podcast just on us exchanging our favorite uh, recipes for that particular portion. Probably also how we could relate it to React Native would be insane. Yeah, it's addictive too. You get you find the uh, 
Like it, it starts helping you in one area and you're like, oh my gosh, I can automate this. So it's, I actually have, <laughs> and I'll, I'll mention another one too. Um, so I, uh, I, I use an integration between Todoist and Evernote um, and I use it for standups. So what I have set up and it's, it's just in the, if this, then that to where when you complete a to-do um, that it will push the contents into an Evernote. So I just have a, like a completed Evernote. And as I go throughout my week and I'm, completing to-dos for a certain um, uh, project, and I just have a, a general work project, um, I uh, I then have an Evernote when I go to do my stand-up. I've got an Evernote of everything I've accomplished, and I don't have to really prepare for anything. So it's just, yeah, there. Are, I, I could talk for literally hours on uh, the stuff it's saving me. So anyway, I'll stop for now. <laughs> okay, uh, Gant, do you have any picks? Yeah, absolutely. I would be remiss not to mention that the Chain React conference is going to be opening up the CFP next uh, week. So everybody, we have some, we have eight invited speakers that are absolutely mind blowing. Uh, Natters, one of them, of course, and we have people from Facebook, Microsoft, Airbnb. Um, hopefully, we get to see some papers uh, coming in for from uh, Krieger. And then, of course, uh, Yule, I'd love to see some talks submitted from y'all. And uh, we will be doing a blind process to make sure that everything's 100% above table on the talks that are accepted. And it's going to be the uh, probably the, the biggest U.S. React Native conference. And then followed immediately by the, one of the most awesome ones will be uh, React Native Europe, which will be later the same year will be the European uh, React Native Conference. So definitely a lot of information on that. You can always get that from uh, Natter or I. And uh, I, I guess like also uh, in, in the same beat of the if then, uh, if this, then that. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at Rocketbook, um, being able to write on paper and then have it automatically sent it to a specific service uh, from your phone, that's a pretty cool feature, and I think they just came out with a new rocket book as well. So, first pick definitely Chain React conference coming up in July of this year, and the second pick one hundred percent rocket book, which is cool. Awesome. Um, I have three picks. Uh, one of them, one of them was just stolen by Gantt. It's the Chain React comp. Um, I would one hundred percent recommend checking it out. It's going to be in Portland. It's going to be amazing. The other seven speakers other than myself are just fantastic. And I'm just super impressed by the the, the speakers that they have so far. And I'm, I'm just uh, assuming that it's going to get even better and better. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. If you're looking for an amazing conference, um, I would, and it's all centered around React Native, it's going to be the first one um, of its kind. I would definitely um, recommend checking that out. My second pick is actually a video that was put out by Parisharam. Um, we call him Ram. He's been on our show a couple of times. He has a video called Zero to DevOps. It's about the new Microsoft suite of tools for mobile developers and continuous integration um, and code push and all kinds of stuff. It's about 15 minutes long. Um, I would totally recommend checking it out. We'll provide a link to it. Um, and then my last pick is uh, React Native Training. We've set up a new city. We're going to be in uh, Santa Monica, California in April of 2017. So that uh, that means uh, we also have Washington, D.C. coming up in February, New York in March, and Santa Monica in April. 
So if you or anyone you know is looking to learn React Native hands-on, um, it's a two-day workshop. And um, I believe it's going to be totally worth it. We have uh, fairly good pricing. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Um, ben, do you have any picks? I do. I've got a couple picks. Um, I've normally been a Sublime Text junkie, uh, but lately I've actually switched back to using uh, Atom. So if you haven't checked out Atom in a while, uh, definitely check it out. It's it's come such a long way. Uh, I was an early contributor uh, back in its kind of infancy, um, but uh, it's it's pretty awesome. I, I think I eventually got frustrated enough with, uh, with some of the changes being made to Sublime Text and some of the changes not being made to it. Um, and uh, I love Adam. <laughs> so uh, it's been pretty great. Uh, I use, uh, lately, I couldn't get along without Reveal, uh, revealapp.com. Um, it's uh, it's awesome for doing view introspection, uh, way better than the, uh, the Xcode one. <laughs> um, and then as far as uh, websites go and, and other apps, um, I'm a diehard fan of You Need a Budget, uh, which is youneedabudget.com. Um, great tool for, you know, helping me keep track of, um, my crazy spending habits. Uh, and then record bird, um, is a, is a new one I just found. Um, I, I, I listen to music all the time. Um, and one of the bummers about RDO closing, um, I was a big fan of RDO as well, missing out on, on, uh, new release notifications, uh, for new music record bird pretty much fills that, uh, fills that gap for me. It sends me push notifications to my phone whenever artists I follow are coming out with music. And it's, it's awesome. So yeah, those are my picks. Um, so can you talk about Reveal? Is this something that's been out for a while and I'm just not on top of my stuff or is this something that is new? So Reveal's been out for a little while. Um, I want to say a few years now. Uh, Itty Bitty Apps uh, is the company that makes it. Um, it's been out since around the time Spark Inspector came out, is before Xcode had its kind of view, view debugging built in. Um, but it um, it it'll help you like if you're not in React Native land, um, granted you can um, you have a, a much harder time of, of being able to tweak around view elements um, like on the device or in real time, and, and Reveal helps out a lot with that. Um, so it just lets you you know kind of break apart your views and um, see your constraints and and any sort of like UI kit values. And uh, it, it's been a huge help for, for debugging um, view layer stuff. Oh yeah. Plus one on reveal um, as uh, you know, anytime you have to go down to the native uh, we used reveal on a project a while ago and it was, it's just mind blowing that 3d, you know, transform of being able to see underneath stuff really helps out a lot. Is, is reveal something that can be used with react native? It is. It, it'll. Uh, I've used it with um, with the with the Vogue app um, as well. It's yeah. It's it'll work with anything that uh, that runs on your iPhone that you're building naturally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ben Yule. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I think we learned a lot, and I definitely enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It was. Uh, this was great. Okay. Well, that wraps up episode 52 of React Native Radio. Thank you for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.